0: Uh, we start with the latest brazen theft in the West End. This was featured on the Global News Hour last night. Now, this was a break-in at an apartment building. Uh, they stole a bunch of bikes, and you might think, okay, what's what's so unusual about that? The the interesting thing was how they pulled this caper off here. This was kind of like Mission Impossible style, where they were not just not a smash and grab. They're using uh, glass cutters, suction cups to remove the panes of glass, you know, high-tech bolt cutters to get into a storage locker and rip off these bikes. Have a listen to this here now. This is Ovi Mahuti. is the building manager there. And they
1: came and they practically they removed the glass, this one. They took out all the creams around. They were prepared. They came with suction cups. They were prepared with bolt cutters as well. And they stole six bikes. We tried to reinforce now all the entrances. We already ordered, you know, metal stuff, you know, metal sheets. We have to put bars everywhere. It's a cost for us. It's an, you know, it's an extra cost. We didn't, we didn't think about it. We didn't plan for this year.
0: Okay, this is brutal. And this looks like this was a highly planned uh, heist that unfolded over a series of days. Let's check in with John Clarides now, owner of the Marquee Wine Cellar in the West End. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, John.
2: Morning,
0: Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on once again. And, John, you've done a... An awesome job on speaking out for the businesses and the residents in this in this neighborhood uh, that have suffered these type of break-ins and thefts and all the mayhem we're seeing there in, in the West End. Can you just remind the listeners what happened at your store? Like they smashed your windows, right? They didn't use uh, they didn't use glass cutters, or did they, to get into your no, place? They
2: didn't use glass cutters. What they did is use those little blow torches that chefs use to you know creme brulee those and oh. uh, put it at the bottom of each corner of the window, which compromises the, the temper, and it just shattered. And our, wow. our e-bike that we use for deliveries was uh,
0: stolen. Yeah, how many times have you been busted into there? Uh, well, just
2: only twice this year in terms of windows. Uh, yeah. Wine, the problem is, I mean, if they're going to take anything, you know, a bottle of wine, okay, it doesn't weigh much, but a case of wine 40 pounds. And running with 40 pounds is not really that practical but the bike you know obviously it's a quick quick getaway
0: (laughs) only twice only twice yeah you're one of the lucky ones maybe okay john what did you think of this uh this caper in the neighborhood there with these these uh glass cutters and the suction cups and ripping these bikes off what did you think of that
2: oh well first of all smart you know they're definitely smart smart guys yeah Uh, they probably worked at a glass shop before uh, maybe taking the suction cups um, when they were working there, or I'm sure they're easily bought online. And a guy obviously knows what he's doing and uh, plans it out. Could have lived in the building too because he knows knows his way around the building. That's that, that's my first guess.
0: Yeah, because the the building manager was there saying it looked like it was a very sort of highly researched heist that unfolded over a few days they knew exactly what they were doing and they zeroed in on these sort of higher end bikes like they knew the but the bikes they wanted to steal so it yeah. looked like i don't know they were probably casing the joint for a few days or who, who knows but you know this is getting like how do you like how do you quantify something like this in terms of all the stuff that's been happening in this neighborhood like it's getting more brazen it's getting more brazen it's happening every day i've had over
2: the last week i've had a few vpd coming in because they're following me on on Twitter and they're telling me things that are happening on the street. Actually, here's here's a classic example. One of my clients comes in, we we're talking, one of her friends was walking out of her apartment, someone put a traffic pylon over her head and started beating her up. What? You can they... see Yeah. What? 100%
0: so they put, okay this, is, okay, this is one of these random attacks that the Vancouver correct. Police Department's been talking about. Like, there's no rhyme or reason for this, just a random uh, assault.
2: Correct, Yeah. correct.
0: You know, my
2: family's had businesses down here since 1958. I've been working on Davy Street since 1977. It has never been this bad. Talking to VPD veterans that have been around for 30 years, never, ever in the 30 years of the VPD people I've uh, spoken to have seen it this bad. Even when in the seventies and eighties, when we had 30 or 40 nightclubs scattered around the city, it's never been this bad ever. And, uh, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. as I said before, something has to be done and defunding the police is not the answer.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I remember in the, uh, sort of the bad old days in the West End with the, uh, the gay community there, there were some targeted uh, assaults that went on, like hate, hate crimes against gay people in the neighborhood and stuff. And, yeah. you know, and that was terrible. But, you know, you think about what's happening, like the scale of what we're seeing right now, like the Vancouver police department this, this week reporting that, uh, 1,000, like this is insane. 1,700 people were assaulted. By strangers in the past year in Vancouver, according to the Vancouver police like you know you know this is this is just out of control so your just touch
2: touching on the like some my my family had a restaurant in the corner of Davy and Thurlow. it was twenty four hours it's called the Black Angus I used to have you know we employed a ton of gay uh, uh gay employees i people would come in with black eyes or getting assaulted on the way on the way to work. Yeah. And it was targeted to this 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 minority. Now, it doesn't matter who you are. It's right. everybody. It's everybody. You could be and what the, the worst part is the most vulnerable are the ones are are getting targeted. So, you know, older people, women, oh. um and just as a public safety thing, people out there should not be walking down the street with their earbuds in their ears just just as an FYI, but you need to be need to be aware. But yeah, now this is the worst I've seen of it seen in in 44 years that I've been down here, and as I said, something needs to be done quickly and radically. Uh, this is not something that. Uh, Politicians need to debate around uh, a table. Look, I've been in the line business 35 years, and ideas I proposed to the government 30 years ago, like an Internet site and delivery, you know, took years for them to make a decision because uh, they, they don't understand retail. Well, we don't have years to make a decision on this at all things need to be done quickly and
0: quickly speaking uh, speaking to john clarides he's the owner of the marquee wine cellar in the west end they've had two break-ins at his store lots of other neighborhood uh, businesses in the neighborhoods have already been also been targeted talking about that brazen bike theft in a in a building in the in the neighborhood this week um another thing to keep in mind like when you said some of these assaults are on the most vulnerable and by the way some of those most vulnerable people who end up getting targeted and assaulted are homeless people. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is one thing that people have to keep in mind. When you hear people say, "Oh, defund the police." The police are 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 unfair to people who are homeless or doing drugs. A lot of the people who are being targeted and assaulted are homeless people on the street. They're among yeah. the most they're among the most vulnerable. So
2: Go ahead. Yeah, and that's just not right either. You know, everybody's got yeah. the right to live in 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 safety, and that's just it's just wrong. It's simply wrong.
0: So, what, what's going on with the stepped up police patrols? Because the Vancouver Police Department did announce a few weeks ago they would have more patrols in the neighborhood, right? Nothing. 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 Because
2: what's not, no, what's happened is is they have to prioritize calls. So, you know, if there's a robbery versus an assault, the robbery is going to get the, the priority. But no, there has not been any um any uh steps up patrols um there there's i've seen a, a couple more bikes and and some of the v p d have actually come in, in in the neighborhood uh but not for from what i pro, what i've been promised or the the wow. community's been promised we need a little bit more, but as i said you know it, they go in they go in at degrees of of seriousness so
0: yeah you know yeah, so they well, triage it they triage, they triage it, so, it They have to they have yeah. to yeah, John. Thank John. Thank you for coming on today.
2: Uh, Mike, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a good you,
0: day. You bet. John Clarides, there. He's the owner of the Marquee Wine Cellars in the West End. As you heard him say, only two break-ins at his place this year. There have been lots more in this particular neighborhood. All right, welcome back to the show, and let's talk about the bank of mom and dad now doing a booming business here in the real estate sector. Brand new report out from CIBC this week says wealthy parents are gifting billions of dollars to their kids to buy real estate. More than $10 billion in the last year in Canada. Major impact here in Vancouver. Uh, The average gift from parents to their kids to buy a first home one hundred and eighty thousand dollars for home buyers looking to buy an upgraded maybe a second home or a third home after a starter home goes up even more than that over three hundred thousand dollars now is this a problem well the CIBC report says this is exacerbating the wealth gap in Canada is this an argument for an inheritance tax let's discuss now with our panel Alex Hemingway Alex is an economist with the B.C. Center for Policy Alternatives. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Alex. Hey, good morning. Thanks a lot for doing this. Also on the line, Chris Sims, B.C. Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hi, Chris.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Okay, I appreciate both of you being back on the show. Alex, let me go to you first. What does this say to you when you read these numbers, the amount of money being transferred here, this sort of generational wealth? I mean, in some ways it's not surprising. Maybe the scale of it's a little surprising, but your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of different things going on here that we might want to separate a little bit. One is that our our housing system is is deeply broken. I think you know everyone's aware of that by now. Prices have gone out of control. Uh, you know, we've had chronic underinvestment in public and nonprofit housing and the overall housing supply uh, uh, for decades now. Uh, and so, you know, when you have that situation of uh, chronic undersupply, you see prices pushed up, and and that. Contributes to you know this intergenerational transfer of of housing wealth for those who happen to be uh, lucky enough to be in families where where that's happening, um, but you know that's not sustainable overall on a societal level. Then there's the, this question of uh, you know taxing extreme wealth in this country through something like an inheritance tax or a wealth tax. And, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense when people, you know, look at that, that bigger picture of extreme wealth inequality in this country, uh, having taxes like a wealth tax, inheritance tax, focus in particular, focusing those first and foremost on the super rich is something that uh, can help rein in the political power that comes with that extreme inequality. Uh, and it can uh, shore up some uh, revenues that are needed to address those chronic underinvestments that I mentioned, not only in the housing right. sector, Child care, transit, and, and many
0: other areas. Okay, Alex making the case there for a wealth tax or an inheritance tax. Chris Sims, what do you think?
1: Well, I think while it, it sounds you know, like a great idea, you know what's what's our major problem? Well, not enough, not enough people have enough money. let's what should we do about it? Eat the rich. Um, it, it just unfortunately doesn't work that way. Number one, Canada only really has comparatively a handful of super uber duber wealthy people in Canada. Two, those types of people usually have a way of avoiding taxes like that or just frankly picking up their capital and leaving. That's exactly what happened, unfortunately, in France when they tried bringing in a wealth tax. And so thirdly, we have a spending problem. And so we did the calculations. Um, Even if we brought in a so-called wealth tax at the general rate that most folks were recommending, I think we'd burn through that in less than a week of federal spending because at this current rate the true yeah. government is spending about 1.8 billion per day and so it just it wouldn't it wouldn't solve what the about,
0: problem. Chris, what about this transfer of generational wealth though that's outlined in this CIBC report? Like do you think that is a, a in any way a problem? Like if you have parents who have accumulated a lot of money through savings, they give it to their kids to buy a house? I mean, you know, even the CIBC report, which is not like any kind of a left-wing think tank said, said this is like exacerbating the wealth gap in Canada. Do you see it that way or is there any problem there?
1: I think the language that they use is that it's creating a difference. Um, And also, fundamentally, uh, we might disagree on this. If you have money and it's your money and it's in your savings account and you want to give it to your children, we don't really see the role for the taxman there to jump in and say, hey, we need a chunk of that so we can promise you that we're going to use it wisely, but probably won't anyway. That's an issue there as well. And we think that the same problems... That have been acted out with a wealth tax could happen with an inheritance tax and this is why. So say you're one of those super rich families and you manage to hand, you know, $300,000 to your kid. Those folks are typically the ones that can afford the high level estate planners, the accountants, the lawyers to avoid getting nailed with a tax like that. But, if you look at more of the middle class and working class parents who are like boomer generation right now, uh, who have been able to save up their money, they often don't have a fleet of experts to swoop in and fix up their tax system. And they're going to be the ones that are going to get so, so you're saying, this tax.
0: So you're saying taxing the rich would hurt the poor?
1: Will so' what you're telling more me. More working people, not the poor, but the working, working people class who have savings to give. Absolutely. Alex, frankly, unfortunately, poor people obviously don't have savings to give to their children.
0: It's Alex Hemingway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah go ahead, well, Alex.
3: well. Look, uh, that, that's a very interesting uh, line of argument, and it's one that we've heard for uh, a few decades now. The idea that the, the rich do, would like us to think that we can't tax them, uh, that it's just not possible. Uh, and, you know, that that's that's really not true. Um, and, you know, in terms of some of the numbers that Chris mentioned, it, it's important to keep in mind, you know, if we're talking about a wealth tax, for example, uh, you know, we, we price this out and, and we use the same methodology that the uh, Parliamentary Budget Office does use their data set. And what you find is that this could make a huge, huge difference. So a, a modest wealth tax that started uh, on uh, fortunes over $10 million, uh, that's the, not the top uh, 1% of the country. It's the top 0.2%. So if you're in the top 1%, you're still not rich enough to pay that tax. We could raise $28 billion per year with that. That's enough to pay for universal pharmacare, $10 a day child care, and eliminate tuition fees for post secondary education combined. Now, that's a huge benefit to households across the country.
1: If you did that, 15 you- days. Unfortunately, that's 15 days worth of spending at the current rate of federal spending. Like,
0: what do you say to that, Al- Alex? What do you say well, to the, that?
2: Look,
3: the, the numbers are what they are in terms of what you could pay for uh, uh, with that level of revenue: 28 billion dollars per year, farm care, child care, eliminating tuition fees combined. That's that's massive. Uh, you know, there you know there are areas I think where Chris and I w- would agree. I think when people say spending is too high, you've really got to get more specific. I'll, I'll give you a specific area: uh, the the massive uh, wage subsidy uh, program to corporations that we had during the pandemic. Well, it wasn't very well targeted. There was some some wasted money there, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to look at the big picture uh, and uh, talk about what we're going to do going forward. If there are things you'd like to to cut, tell me what the numbers are. Uh, and how that uh, weighs against investments in areas that are driving up costs for working class households, those areas okay. like child care, tuition fees and so on. Uh, you know, it's that underinvestment that we've had for so long uh, by failing to tax the rich that has actually driven up uh, costs for households and working class people. Chris?
1: So instead of trying to tax the rich, which we've seen doesn't work in countries that have tried it, particularly in France, why don't we cancel corporate welfare, like get rid of it, stop handing billions of dollars to companies like Bombardier, okay? Why don't we lift the restrictions and cut the taxes on building housing supply and then actually try to fix the problem? Why not do that instead? Instead of taxing certain people more or trying to. You're not guaranteed to do it. Why don't they cut things to corporate
0: welfare and fix it? Hey, Alex, let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll take a break and take some phone calls here on the other side. Like, If you brought in uh, a wealth tax of the type you're describing on the the very tip-top income earners, do you risk seeing like a flight of capital out of Canada, like money just leaving, rich people moving their money offshore to avoid a, a heavy tax like that? Yeah, so economists have been looking at this in
3: a tremendous amount of detail over the past couple of years, because you've seen this debate cropping up all over the world, including in the U.S., I think a bit to everyone's surprise. Uh, We got close to a a billionaire's tax being implemented just in the past uh, a week or so as as the democrats are debating various things down south i don't think it's going to happen but the fact that it's come even close is is shocking and uh, what you f- see is that you look at world experts on on tax havens and tax avoidance like gabriel zukman uh, at the university of california berkeley and what they tell you is what's missing in terms of enforcing taxes against the rich uh, is not the technical or economic know-how it's the political will we actually know what to do to enforce these types of taxes it's the political influence of the wealthy and large corporations that have gotten in the way of this. So if we can get that political will in place, this is actually okay. something we can do, uh, even though they'd like uh, folks not to believe that it's possible.
0: All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about an inheritance tax in Canada. The headline this week from CIBC, billions of dollars are being transferred from wealthy parents to their kids to buy real estate in Canada, especially in Vancouver. Tons of calls here. Dwayne in Surrey. Hey, Dwayne.
2: Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good show. Uh, My dad told me when I was 11 years old, you have to work hard to get ahead. He was dead wrong on that one. The only money most of us have is this increase in housing. It should be taxed away, and we should help the poor woman that has two kids and paid uh, rent in a basement, paid off these mortgages for people like myself, and I'd be happy if we'd be taxed. I'm so you, so you would, so you would way, say,
0: so you would say, tax home equity. Is that what you're I'm arguing? I'm I'm absolutely yes. Okay. We didn't work for the money. We don't deserve it. We don't
2: need to be going to Hawaii for these exorbitant holidays and thinking we're so smart. It was luck and timing, and we should pay our share.
0: Okay, thanks for the call. Chris, this is the argument from people that if you got into this housing market before things went into the stratosphere, you effectively won the lottery, right? You're sitting on a, a $2 million home, so you should pay up. Your thoughts?
1: Again, though, it wouldn't work. On one end of the spectrum, we have often retirees who are counting on that nest egg to literally pay for their needs in their old age. And then on the other side, a young couple that is working their way through their condo and saving all their money, they want to sell that and put that into a house so they can have a backyard for their kids. It would reduce the supply because people would just sit on their homes, perhaps, and not sell, and/or it would just increase the ticket cost because they could just add that amount to the listing price. So again, it wouldn't fix mm. the problem.
0: Alex Hemingway, your thoughts?
3: Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I want to separate out two conversations we've been having again, and, yeah. and I'll, <laughs> I think I'll come it's to the other piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might be at this point. So one is, you know, if we're talking about as, as we were before the break, a comprehensive wealth tax. And we can really focus that on the richest of the rich, the top 0.2%, about 75,000 families raising an incredible amount of revenue from that alone. That wouldn't affect the type of folks Chris is talking about. But I, I do want to speak to that housing issue in particular. Sure. You know, that housing is a, a, a big piece of the massive inequality that we have in this country. In B.C., uh, property wealth has increased by over $1 trillion in mm-hmm. the mid-2000s. It's absolutely wow. incredible. I think one way we could step forward in this direction that's more uh, narrowly targeted and, and I think could have some support is, you know, we've tiptoed down this road in BC of with the provincial portion of the property tax, taxing just those properties worth over $3 million a bit more to chip in. I think a, a, an even better approach to go further down that road would be to say, don't just do that on individual properties. Tax those large landholders. Apply that tax. Add additional brackets further up the land value. Uh, ladder and and apply it to the total holdings of those large uh, landowners and the beauty of that type of tax that you can do at a provincial level when you're taxing land you can't pick up and move land there's no tax avoidance issue when it comes to Mm. taxing uh, land and you can target target it in that way that's fair And, and and i think that's in the spirit of what the caller was suggesting
0: back to the phone lines ryan in vancouver hi ryan Hey guys, this is kind of like the what you're just talking about—the
3: wealth tax sort of thing. From as per the Tax Federation, uh, the top one percent pay 33 percent of taxes, and the average middle income earners like 17, and 8.4 of all federal um, uh, filings come from the top one percent. Yet they raise 52 percent of all revenue in the country. So if you stick another tax on these large landowners, they're gonna hide their money. They're going to hide their capital. They're going to leave. When you raise taxes, people spend less money. If you cut taxes, people spend money in an economy, and governments actually gain more revenue.
0: Okay, Alex Hemingway, what do you say to that?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting. You you really can. uh, You can tax the rich. You can tax large corporations. It's incredibly popular. You know, the wealth tax proposal I've been talking about has eighty-nine percent support. When you look at the polling, it crosses party lines. Everyone agrees on this, and it is enforceable. I mean, it's in the interest of these folks to, to to lobby and to. Uh, see that idea in the public debate that it's just not enforceable when you look at the economics research on this it is very much possible uh, to enforce these things look at the experts on tax havens they'll tell you that what we need is political will we need to tackle the power of uh, wealthy and large corporations in our politics to deal with this
0: squeeze in one more call here susan in north van hi susan
1: hi um i really do think there ought to be some kind of tax for people who help out their children and i'm I mean, we did that for our son just recently, but it wasn't anywhere near what the what you were quoting. It was at the, about a, a third of that, and he okay. had to move quite a way out of the city to find a, an apartment. So you think so the government we,
0: should the government should have taxed you on that?
1: Well, I think there ought to be a cap on on <laughs> on on and and and, and you know, like there ought to be a, a cap
0: okay okay thank you for the call we're just running out of time we only got a minute left so i'll give both of our panelists 30 seconds here to sum up chris go ahead
1: in that case the cap slips off the jar really fast or off the cookie uh. jar so to speak they once the politicians get wind that this is a, a way to tax people they'll just go nuts on it the same as they have with the carbon tax and so that's why saying oh we'll stop here at this limit or this benchmark it won't work it'll just slide right down the slope other people will get taxed on it too
0: okay alex Hemingway, you got 30 seconds there to sum up. Uh, two things. On housing, uh, we need to end the
3: decades of chronic underinvestment. Uh, we need investment in nonprofit housing, public housing, and increase the overall supply of housing, dealing with things like exclusionary uh, single family zoning in, in uh, yeah. our big cities like Vancouver. And uh, the flip side of that, uh, uh, on the wealth side, uh, we do need to. Uh, tax the rich, we can do it, uh, and we can focus it on that very high end uh, and, and okay. really start to rein in this inequality that's affecting our politics and our households.
0: All right, here we go. Let's have some Halloween fun now. And who doesn't love this time of year, the Halloween decorations, the trick-or-treating this Sunday, and of course, it's the perfect time of year to watch a scary movie. Now, I'm a bit of a, a chicken when it comes to horror movies, but I will occasionally watch a scary one especially if it's getting i've like, got great reviews or a lot of buzz because I'm a sucker for the hype, but I have watched some scary movies over the year that made a big impression on me, gave me a few nightmares, and a few that I've never forgot, and we'll talk about that in a second. Get set to call me on the open line on this one, okay? I want you to phone me and tell me what's your favorite horror movie, what was the scariest movie you ever saw. Let's check in with Kurt Smakel now, film critic and podcast host, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks a lot for coming on. Are you a horror movie aficionado?
4: I would say probably verges even beyond aficionado. I've probably made it as close to my life's work as possible to uh, celebrate and uh, inform everyone of uh, some of the greatest horror movies out there. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, my life's work. And, you know, this time of the year is perfect because everyone's looking for a scary movie to watch.
0: Okay, I love it, Kurt. Let's talk about some of the movies that you love the most here in in this genre. And I've got a couple of uh, clips here to play. And I know that one of your favorites is The Changeling, right? The Changeling. Let's have a, a little listen to part of the trailer here for The Changeling. If we have it. Within this old
2: house two residents one of them is John Russell composer professor the other has been dead for over 70 years
0: okay okay Kurt what do you like about this film
4: well, first off, it's a Vancouver filmed movie. So if you watch this movie, you're going to see Gastown, you're going to see SFU, you're going to see a lot of local uh, places, which I always kind of find great. But also too, it's uh, it's just a really interesting story about a composer and a film prof- or music professor, sorry, and uh, he goes to uh, study after a tragedy in his life and moves into this house while he's teaching and studying, and uh, finds out that the house has. Uh, Ghosts about it, and there's a bit of a mystery as to what's going on with the ghosts, why are they there? what caused their death? I don't want to spoil that for anybody who does want to watch the movie, but it's just a great story, and you've got George C. Scott, who, if you've ever ah. seen uh Doctor Strangelove, he's in that he plays one of the journals sure. in that he's such a great actor. Uh you know, he's one of those guys that found horror later in life. And he's done a few movies, but I think The Changeling's his best work.
0: Okay, that's 1980, The Changeling. Now, here's one that really made an impact on me, Kurt. And I don't know, you may find it a bit of a surprising choice, but I saw this when I was a little kid, like way back in the 1970s. I remember going to a matinee movie on a weekend with a whole bunch of other kids. I was, I don't know, I was maybe like 10 years old or something and i saw beneath the planet of the apes let's have a listen to the trailer
2: are they human or something else in their church an unspeakable god
0: doomsday
2: fog behind their faces an unbearable secret we don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other.
0: Okay, Kurt. You, I know everybody knows this movie. It was the second film in the in the Great Planet of the Apes series. But man, oh man, those mutants who lived in the New York subway and they worshipped that atomic bomb. I had yeah. nightmares for months after that.
4: And I think I remember that movie Has a pretty grisly ending too It's not one of those yes. movies That's uh, you know a happy ending for everyone I think it ends on a pretty grisly note If I recall did, correctly Yes
0: it did And I guess not really technically a horror film But man I just found it really really scary Okay here's another one of your picks Kurt Friday the 13th Friday the 13th Let's have a listen Did you know
2: that a young boy drowned here? Hello, His name was Jason Today
0: is his birthday. Okay, Jason. All right. What do you like about this one?
4: Uh, I've watched this series of movies countless times. It's one of the few series of movies where I can put on any film in that franchise and enjoy them, even the really bad ones. uh and i don't know i just i find them to be really entertaining they kind of toe the line of being scary but also they kind of put in some moments where you're laughing and some moments where you're kind of cheering along for people so it's not uh like some movies where it's just constant barrage of horror where you don't get any kind of reprieve they're fun times and they're movies that you can watch with uh i wouldn't say the entire family but a good part of the family and uh you know enjoy them quite a bit especially this time of the year
0: Okay, here's another one that had a big impact on on me, Kurt. 1976, The Omen, starring Gregory Peck and, of course, Damien, the Antichrist. Oh, man, this one really freaked me out. Let's have a listen to this one. It's mother. Mr. Thorne. It's on my wife. It's mother. What
2: is it you're trying to say? His mother was
0: a... Oh, man, that's the one, of course, you know, the, the little kid who's actually the devil and all... Oh. There's mm-hmm. just so there's so many there some scenes in that movie that are just kind of imprinted on my mind and I, I that one really scared the wits out of me.
4: Yeah, that's such a great movie and that yeah. movie like you know you go and look at it now and uh, Richard Donner directed that movie. He also worked on Superman, The Goonies, countless others. He's a great director. Got yeah. such a great cast. Like it's a case of a lot of really great creative talent creating an amazing movie. Uh, it's just one of the few, I mean, there's a lot of horror movies out there, but it's one of the few where there's just such a great pedigree behind it. And you can really see what a really talented filmmaker can do in the genre. All
0: right. Welcome back. As we continue talking about the scariest movies ever, my guest is Kurt Smakel. He is a film critic. He's a horror movie fan, big time, man. Lots of calls here. Dean in Vancouver on the open line. Hi, Dean.
4: Hey, how's it going?
0: I'm good. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, my My favorite one, I just
0: watched it the other day, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead. Okay, Okay. Kurt, do you know that one?
4: Yeah, that's a great one. Um, That's about a man who loses his son and uh, basically summons an evil pumpkin spirit to take vengeance out on uh, those who uh, caused the death of his son. Great flick. Great uh, creature effects by Sam Winston in that one. Uh, Yeah, you could uh, do a lot worse than pumpkin.
0: Okay, I haven't seen that one. 1988, that one. I Just uh, Google tells me here. John and Ladysmith. Hi, John. Hi. uh, Hi. The Ring. The Ring, yes. Yes, The Ring. Don't forget about The Ring. Yeah, what did you find great or scary about that one, John? Uh,
4: When you're kind of alone in a house and you're looking at your television and wondering whether that going to come out at you
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay kurt the ring what's amazing about the ring is that movie's pg-13 it's not even an r-rated movie but it's so effective at scaring you that you would almost think it's an r-rated movie uh but that's one that yeah you can even show it to teenagers and but you'd be surprised at how frightening it can be despite the fact that there's very little blood and very little gore in that movie
0: yeah yeah well maybe that's a mark of a really effective film i think brad and langley hi brad
4: Hey there. Um, I saw Blair Witch Project on opening night in the theaters before I knew that it was fake or it was, Mm. like, not real. So I went there on a date night thinking it was going to be a great night, and I left the theater sick to my stomach, and it ruined my entire
2: night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what, Brad? You and I had a very similar experience, because I remember when that film came came out, it got so much hype. It was such a unique film, this small-budget film. And it was, uh, just became a huge hit almost on word of mouth, as I recall. And my wife and I went to see it. And I was also really, really freaked out by that one because it did have a very realistic quality to it. Kurt, your thoughts on it?
4: Yeah, I remember there was so much buzz about that movie, and then I actually watched it. And I, you know, even to this day, I I like that movie. I think the ending is just so haunting. Oh, with the guy God. just standing up against the wall, and you're like, okay, what's going on there? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: It was a really, really scary one. That one really affected me, too. Thanks for phoning in on that one. Let's go to uh, Evan in Richmond. Hi, Evan. Hi, good morning, Mike. How are you
2: doing? Hi. I'm
0: good. What do you think?
2: Good. Well, I agree with the uh, gentleman from Ladysmith. I'm a huge fan of The Ring. Uh, Naomi Watts, you know, the idea of these innocent uh, kids all in the cabin, and they find this unmarked VHS tape, which kind of got that dates the movie now, doesn't it? Nobody has VHS tapes anymore. But then you get the phone call telling me you've got a week to live, and anyone takes a picture of you, the, the picture of your face is all kind of blurry and muddy, and then one by one, that yeah, that creepy Samara, that long-haired, you know, soaked little girl, you know, horrible, climbing on the TVs and killing people, oh, I just love that stuff. I love it. Yeah.
0: Okay. As I re- thank you for that. As I recall, Kurt, that was a, it was a big hit. That film too, The Ring.
4: Yeah, it did pretty well. Uh, they even made a sequel, which oddly enough, you know, because I think they made the sequel like just a few years ago. It's not that old. Uh, you know, no VHS. They kind of dealt more with like this movie. This video streaming over the internet i mean it was not a good movie but it had some actually a little bit of interesting ideas about you know uh, yeah there's no longer vhs tape but what do you do with this uh video going around the internet now
0: danielle in vancouver hi danielle
1: hi how are you
0: i'm good what do you think
1: psycho psycho
0: psycho Oh, classic <laughs> yeah. yes yeah oh there we go oh even got the sound effects for you, Danielle. What do you remember about that film?
1: Everything. <laughs> everything. <Okay. laughs> it still spooks me today. I can still see him. Oh yeah, it, it was so you never knew who it was until the very end, and it was the worst part. I've, everything was just was just horror.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you, Danielle. I was talking to my son, uh, who's a, a bit of a movie buff, Kurt, and uh, he hmm. recently watched Psycho for the first time. And yeah. to my surprise, he told me, he said, well, you know, I didn't think it was that scary. I mean, some sometimes films maybe don't stand the test of time, or they live in your memory more than anything, mm-hmm. you know? What do you think?
4: Well, I think a lot of times with movies like that, people know of the certain moments of that movie. So when they go to watch that movie, they've already seen probably 60, 70% of that movie through clips and other stuff that have just become known throughout the Internet and stuff. So when you yeah. watch it, you kind of lose a little bit of that effect, because unlike people who watched it when the movie first came out, you know, they're watching it in real time. You've seen this movie in bits and pieces. So nothing maybe surprises you as much nowadays. So it's a little bit harder to scare, but uh, not entirely impossible.
0: Speaking of horror film fan, Kurt Smakel and taking your calls on the scariest movies ever. Mark and Delta. Hey, Mark.
4: Morning, Mike. Uh, I'm
0: sure Kurt has seen these two. They're both Australian. Uh, Storm Morning from 2007 and then Wolf Creek to the movie. I thought that was better than Wolf Creek, the original movie. Kurt, do you know those yeah. ones? Yeah, Wolf
4: Creek, a uh, great series of movies about a uh, serial killer in the Australian Outback. Uh, that's a great movie. And they even turned it into a TV series, which is actually pretty decent. Uh, and Stormwind's in the, a bit of an underrated one, in my opinion. You don't get people talking about that one as much, but that's also a pretty good movie as well.
0: Kurt, are there any horror movies you haven't seen? Uh, <laughs> been, you haven't the list been stumped is very on a small the list is very <laughs> small yeah um, you, you haven't been stumped on a single one let's go to howard in vancouver hi howard
4: hi good good morning Kurt and mike uh one movie and then one piece of trivia the movie that scared the heck out of me was a tv movie which was called trilogy of terror with karen black in a, in three different scenarios and one of them was where this doll she was given oh from africa with a spear if the yep. spear falls down, the doll comes alive and kills you. Oh, my and, God.
0: I saw it. I saw it. It freaked me out.
4: <laughs> and uh, yeah. a bit of trivia. One, she kept the doll. I had a chance to interview her many years later, and she told me she has the doll. And number two is, do you guys know what they used for blood in Psycho, since it was black and white?
0: Hmm. What were they using blood? Okay, tell me.
4: Hershey's chocolate syrup. Hershey's. <laughs> That's how it made that lasting impression in the uh, in the bathtub.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, that Trilogy of Terror, do you know that one, Kurt?
4: Uh, funny enough, I haven't seen the original, but I have seen the sequel. So there you go. I have been stumped. But yeah, I, I've seen the sequel, which uh, is not a good movie, but uh, I have to go and watch the original now. Yeah,
0: I do remember, I do remember seeing the original on TV about the doll, the doll coming to life. Very, very frightening. It's Malcolm in Vancouver. Hi. The
2: 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Hans Conried, early 60s, I never looked at a piano the same way. It was about a little guy was taking piano lessons, couldn't handle it, got into a nightmare, and there was 5,000 keys of a piano. And Dr. T was
1: studied for Dr. Terwilliker.
2: Never looked at a piano
1: the, the same way this,
2: at that point.